Welcome to the Yal Mega Podcast, where we delve into the inspiring stories of entrepreneurs, motivational coaches, and business leaders. Join us as we hear about their journey to success and the challenges they face along the way. We'll uncover their secrets to perseverance and determination and gain valuable insights into what it takes to reach your goals. The journey may not be beautiful, but it is always purposeful. So sit back, relax, and be ready to be inspired by those who have dared to dream big and make it a reality. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to a brand new Al Michael Podcast. I am. That's right. Here we're going to have another wonderful guest, an amazing guest, totally inspirational guest that has, you know, turned tragedy into something big and personal. And definitely I have some questions because I've had loss along the lines as well, which she speaks about. She is an author and the founder of 100 Acts of Love. And she's here to bring the love. We saw that positivity, the one, the only, Kim Hema. Wepa, how you doing? Thank you so much, Al. That's a great, that is a great introduction. I feel like all energized and ready to go. That's what it is. That's what it is. You know, because I, I see you managing employees, death or cancer. Right here, we're talking about living, baby. You know what I mean? How to get over that and be able to persevere. So, you know, Kim, thank you for coming on and, and sharing your, your story with us, uh, you know, that journey and what you're doing with 100 Acts of Love. So, you know, first off, so people just know, you know, where, where you come from, where your, where your vibe come from. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, first of all, I'm the daughter of New Yorkers, Queens and Harlem. Yeah. So... I, you know, um, they moved, they moved out of the city to, um, because they decided that they did, they prefer to pay taxes and send us to a really nice school, um, than to live (laughs) in the city. So, so yeah, um, I live in LA right now. I have three semi-adult children. I guess they really are 25, 23 and soon to be 21. Um, but my story starts with my husband's cancer. Um, we were a organic eating, healthy vibing kind of family. And one day he does not feel, it, t- it takes about three weeks. He does not feel well. And he um, was very much a man. It's like, I got it. I'll be fine. Oh, It'll be he? okay. Yeah. At that time he was 40, he was 39. He was 39 mm. when he was first diagnosed. Yep. So, um, we, he finally talks to a He's doctor. He's being a hard-headed man. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so how long was he being hard-headed? Because I know men are very hard-headed. When it well, I, I have to admit, I have to add into that hard-headedness because he was complaining about not being able to breathe. He went out for a run and came back and said, I can't breathe. And so I did what every good wife does. I was like, here, take some of my asthma medicine. So I was part of the problem. I got to say, I was part of the problem. Um, so our doctor said, our, our regular doctor said, hey, why don't you go check yourself, you know, go to a, see a, a, another doctor. And she said, in the meantime, go get some x-rays. And we were like, eh, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to clog up the system. That's what we really were thinking. So we go to the doctor. He says, have you had x-rays done? My husband says no. And the thing is, we usually don't go to the doctor together. That wasn't what we were doing, what we did. But something in both of us said, we need to be together at this time. The doctor takes x-rays, comes back into the room, and it's like a freaking TV show. He laces his fingers. He puts, he sits down across from us. And we're in the exam room, puts his hands on the exam table and says, I think you have cancer. And we were like, wait, what? Like, what? Like, no, not, not him. Not, not, you know. And then he proceeded to show us the x-ray and the x-ray was of his chest. 
And he had all these tiny white spots all over it. And that's why he was having trouble breathing. Um, the doctor was so concerned that he, he wanted us to start the process immediately. Um, was so he we went, a smoker or anything like that? No, he was not point? a smoker. It was not even wow. lung cancer. It was, it was large B cell lymphoma. And so I'm, I'm sure some of your audience members have heard the term metastasized. And that means that it's spread from the original area to other parts of the body. And, and that's bad. When your cancer goes to other parts of the body, that's bad. And by the time we got a diagnosis, it was, he was stage four cancer. Um, they immediately, it was a weird cancer because they thought at first it was testicular cancer. It was not. So they did a surgery, removed the tumor from one of his testes. They couldn't even wait for him to heal. So two days later, they started chemo, um, because it was starting to, it was, it was shutting down his lungs. Um, so we're going to go on this roller coaster ride and everyone, you know, we have an incredible community. Our kids are in element are in preschool and elementary school at the time, and everyone keeps coming up to us and saying, "If you need anything, let me know." And at first, I felt so loved because it felt so helpful. But then I realized that phrase was one of the worst things you can say to somebody who's in crisis. And I'm going to tell you why, and then we can talk a little bit more about my story. So the reason why is because I I I, I think. I don't know if you're married or not, but let's say you get married. You just bought a brand new car. You're really excited. And you go and you have lunch with people who all know about this brand new car. And no one says anything to you. How do you feel? Like You don't feel so good. You don't feel heard. You don't feel like like no one cares. You feel disconnected. You're kind of pissed off. You feel like never going to lunch. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Haters. Exactly. Exactly. And it all comes because no one acknowledged the the good feeling you were having and no one acknowledged the good thing that was happening in your life. Well, the same thing happens when we have when we have something really bad happening. We really need people to witness us. We need people to say, I'm so sorry this is happening. So that phrase, if you need anything, let me know, doesn't do that. The second reason it's not helpful is how what's anything? Like, really, what's anything? I don't know you. When you say anything, does that mean you were going to come and pick up my my vomiting toddler at preschool? Or does that mean you would be happy to drop off a six-pack and hang out with Art? Right? What is anything? It's too big a term to even encompass it. The third reason it's not helpful is you, I don't know about you, but I'm not particularly good at asking for help. I'm not like, hey, y'all, I need some help with this. I can't do it anymore. Like, and most people aren't. So now you're asking this person who is already stressed out to the max. Like their life has been turned upside down. The left wall has become the floor. The window is on the wrong side of the building, everything. And now you're asking them to reach out to you to uh, to ask you to do something that you may not even have meant when you said anything and it's just yeah. not going to happen so it's never a good phrase to use what you can use instead is one acknowledge i'm so sorry this is happening to you i feel speechless i feel helpless i want to help 
And then you can offer something specific and offer more than once. So find something. We all have helping superpowers, things we're good at, things we like doing. We don't even think any much about it because it's so easy for us. That thing that you like to do it could be cleaning the kitchen, washing the car, taking care of the car, taking care of kids. It could be doing an Excel spreadsheet, right? Maybe that's what your thing is. You really like that kind of stuff. Those things that you ought, that you have that are really easy for you are things that can really help the person who's dealing with this tragedy in their life. So I say offer that and offer more than once. So that's sort of my kickoff okay. to the journey. Um, so my husband beats the cancer and we, there's no sort of, I know before my husband got sick, I thought that, oh, after you win cancer, you're like new lease on life. I feel really good. This is great. And there really wasn't, there was that moment of being very grateful. And then there was the moment for nights on, and months on months, we would look at it. We would look, we'd be in bed together and we'd look at each other and we would be like, what the hell just happened? Like yeah, our lives were completely turned upside down. And, you know, like any tragedy, it brings out the best in a partnership and it also brings out the worst in a partnership. So we had to start working on our marriage again. We had to start co-parenting again. We had to really kind of understand, is this something that we want to continue doing? I mean, it was a lot of questioning. Wow. We got back on our feet. Um, we started to build our lives back together. We decided we did like each other and that we would stay together. <laughs> and how long was that process in deciding that? <laughs> you know, that's actually a really good question. It took us about nine months, almost a year to really settle in. To um, okay. yeah, to reconcile. I was, back I was on, on the algorithm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I was really mad at him for getting cancer. And I know it doesn't make any sense, but I was really mad at him. I felt I was mad that he put me in this position where I felt so vulnerable and terrified. I mean, it wasn't his fault, but it took me a while to work through that anger and that resentment. Um, and he felt really guilty. He felt really guilty and he felt shame, you know, that he was so sick that he couldn't help around the house, that he couldn't be a parent, that he couldn't work. So he had, you know, that his, you know, let's be honest. I mean, losing a testicle is not a very fun, like there's not men lining up to be like, yeah, me, you know, his, his, <laughs> his, his manlyhood was, he was questioning his manlyhood. He was questioning his, his, his ability as a, you know, as a man, as a father, as a provider. So it took us a bit to get back together. Um, and then we did. And then um, less than two years later, the cancer came back, and four uh, months after the diagnosis, he, but he When died. it came back, were you, were, were you much more promptly aware of what was going on? Um, <laughs> I wish. No, again, it came no, back. Once again, it, no. Okay. Yeah, once again, no. He kind of, you know, looking back at photos, we can see that he was losing weight, but at the time, I, I just wasn't aware. Um, and he, he was either in denial or he wasn't aware, um, cause his clothes must've been getting thin, you know, must've been getting loose on him. Yeah, but absolutely. when we, when we, when we caught it again within, it went from, you know, his not feeling great, um, in November to all over his chest again in, in, in December to the point where we took him to the ER, um, because he was struggling breathing, that happened to be because it was a blood clot because he'd been sitting for so many days because he wasn't feeling well. But then they discovered the cancer. And then four months after that, you know, he just he died. He just his body oh, could not wow. couldn't handle it. Wow. Um, so sorry. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was not, um, I, you know, don't recommend the journey if you can avoid it, but you can't, you know, death is out there and we lose people we love and it is tragic and difficult and a quagmire. Um, and it is also one of the moments where it was some of the most beautiful moments in my life you know, watching people come in and support myself and my kids. And people did, you know, my neighbor one day, neighbor Nate, Nate walked up the street and he said, Hey, when was the last time the oil was changed in your car? And that was what we called a man job in our house. You know, as stereotypical as it is, that was, I can change oil, I know how to do it, but it was his, yeah, it was his job. And I looked at Nate and I was like, I, I, I couldn't even tell you if the light had changed, like, you know, from green to yellow to red. And he said, I'll tell you what, leave the keys in the mailbox, text me tomorrow. I'll come up, I'll grab the car, I'll take care of it for you. Aww. And so I, um, I do that and um, he leaves the keys back. He says, car's all done. And then I can't remember, if it's the, I think it was the day after I go out with the kids, I go to the car and I kind of stop and, and look at it suddenly. And I, and I start to kind of tear up, but I'm questioning my sanity. And then I get in the car and I turn it on and I start to just burst out crying. And it's because Nate had not only changed the oil in the car, he had washed it inside and out and he had filled it with gas. Aww. And it was just one of those simple little things. Had I even realized I was close to being out of gas, there, I wouldn't have called anybody because it felt so stupid to like, hey, I'm home. I'm sort of functioning, but can you get gas in my car? Like that just feels so like, like that's, you know, we're Americans. We're about that independence. And, yeah. and so he, you know, he did this beautiful, amazing gesture. He took it upon himself. He took, he took care of it financially, which not everyone can do, but still, you know, it's a great, it's a great thing to, to be able to, to do. Um, and he just relieved in one, you know, two hour period, he relieved a load of stress off of me. Um, so I, I, I started to write this book at about that time because I really, I realized that, you know, where I am right now in my life, my, my foundation was wrecked, right? My foundation had all sorts of cracks and holes and crevices in it from the cancer and from the cancer the second time and from his death. Well, the so, kid that home, you know, during that time as well? Yeah, the kids, when he died, the kids were 12, 9, and 7. So they were fairly, oh, they were young. young. Yeah, yeah. 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 It is. It is. You know, it was a really, can I swear? Yes. Yes. It was a really shitty, it was a really shitty experience. Yeah. You know, um, it sounds like it. I I wouldn't want to go through that. I mean, I was married and I went through something where she had blood clot and almost lost a coma and all that, you know, and that was very, very, very scary. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. uh, that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah wow I was blubbering like a little baby like, oh my yes. God, what do you do because you feel powerless like yes right yes that, that feeling suck it like, does I want to do something but I can't yes because I don't exactly. know what to do <laughs> exactly exactly so that's actually that's sort of why I wrote the book because there's so many I realized that so many of our friends stepped in and some of our friends who we thought would step in took a backseat they, they like took 15 steps back and what I realize is most of the time people do want to help, but they don't know what to say and they don't know what to do. Yeah. 
And so I wrote the book for everybody, for those people, because there's a lot of books out there. If you have cancer, there's books, there's blogs, there's TV shows. It does, you know, there's a place for you to be. If you are grieving, there's a place for you to be. But when you're that person who wants to help, right? If, if one in five, if one in two of us is going to get cancer, what's the other one person who doesn't have cancer going to do to support? And so that's where this came from. I wanted to give people the tools to be able to stand in and to say, I can do this thing. Because while you do feel powerless when you're dealing with your friend's loss or cancer or whatever it is that they're dealing with, you're not as powerless as you think. And, you know, that story about Nate happened in 2009. I am still telling it and I still tell it often <laughs> because it's so powerful. And I want people to know that when you show up, that, that foundation crack that I talked about, you know, people came in and they just kind of poured cement and they, you know, they poured cement with their actions, with the things that they did that were small and powerful and really helpful. And I want people to have those tools so that they feel like they're not as powerless as they are and that they can love up on the person who needs to be loved up on. Because honestly, I'm not here because I'm like strong or brave or courageous or any of that stuff. I am here for two reasons. One, because I put one pinky toe in front of the other, which is all I could manage at the time. And because of all the people who came in and did all these things and just said, we love you. Here's a, you know, here's a lasagna. It's an act of love. We're picking the kids up after school and you're not getting them back. Lasagna, till... Anytime that's love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you know what though? My kids, we got so much lasagna that my kids after the third month after he died, they were like, no more lasagna. We're done. We don't want lasagna again because a lot of, that's what a lot of people brought us. So, okay. I think I've done enough talking. I'm sure you have some, I hope you have some questions. Well, of course, because, I mean, you've gone through stuff, but I want to talk about this website, too. Oh, thank you. So, yeah, so talk, talk, writing that book, how do I write in the book, leading you on the journey and then creating this website? I mean, how, how do you help companies, you know, and, and their teams deal with, with, you know, like grief and depression and sadness within an office space as well? Because I, I myself also, uh, when, my, when my comic crusaders was young, I, ha- I had a comic crusader from Ireland. That we met, I re- we reviewed his book. We became good friends. He offered to create content for me. We connected. He became a great, wonderful crusader and friend. And then he got sick, and oh. and uh, was really bad at one point. And he texted me one day, you know, at the end of me, like, "Oh, doctor said I'm dying. I just want to say I love you very much. Thank you for oh. everything." And, and he's like, "What the hell are you talking about? You know?" So. Mm. Two weeks later, he had brought on another team uh, member to, to the family, and then she told me, hey, Al, I got horrible news. Oh. And from two weeks from that message, let me tell you, I, again, I was crying. Like, that was my oh. first crusader I lost. So I know, you know, cancer is horrible. I hate cancer. We've lost great, you know, family members, you know, amazing artists to this horrible disease. Yeah, yeah, How yeah, and... It? And I think, so I think what, what happened was I'm an HR leader. And so the two kind of wed together because just like outside in the real world, people don't know what to say or what to do. Managers also don't know what to say or what to do. Team members don't know what to say or what to do. And the ramifications of them not speaking to it, of them not managing it well are, you know, let's just talk basic business, lower productivity, less engagement, 
But the real ramifications is your team is not connected and they're not collaborating well. And so, you know, managers miss an opportunity. Look, we're all looking for connection right now. We all want to feel like we're counted. We want to feel like the work that we do really matters. And when there's a crisis on the team, whether it's, you know, a, a grieving employee, an employee with cancer, or even a team member death, it's an incredible opportunity for managers to step in and to say, okay, let's, let's lead the way with heart. And let's figure out what we can do. And unfortunately, most managers don't have that skill. You know, it's it's not something that, you know, the, the, American, Medi- the American Management Association does not have that as part of their thing that you can learn as a manager. And um, yes, yeah, so AMA, if you're listening, I'm here. Just want to let you yeah. know. I'm and here. When I got the website, it's right here, too. I mean, they're going to yes. start helping right here. Yep. Yep. Right. What are the you mission. going to do? Problem. Yeah. And my, yes, my mission, my mission is to serve, you know, to make sure that a million people, um, you know, have the ability to understand how to support an employee dealing with whatever crisis that they're dealing with by educating 80,000 managers. Eight, I would say it's eight. Yeah. It's, yep. Yep. It's 80,000 managers. So yeah, yeah. It's, that's my mission. I really want managers to know what to do and what to say. And, and we're talking about the ability to manage a team in a way that is practical and brings joy and, and, and allows the manager to really understand what people are doing. I'm so, thank you so much for showing all this. I really appreciate you, Al. It's really sweet. No, we got, we got to show you. This is important stuff. Cause you know, again, uh, you know, we went through grief as a team, you know, losing yeah. a team member. So yeah. I understand the importance of that. We spoke about it. We were sad. We were there for one another. Because luckily enough, I have a very positive team. Yeah. Uh, and so we were definitely there to to encourage one another to, to you know, get better and everything would be well. Because that's what God would want. Yeah. that's. I, I'm so glad that you were able to do that because that's not something that a lot of managers know how to do. And, you know, this is not easy stuff. Like, right. I mean, this is not, this is, this is not like, oh, hey, let's, let's talk about this. This takes courage. Man, I don't want to, as a manager, I don't want to talk to my team about loss. I don't want to cry in front of my team. I don't want to um, feel like I don't know what to do or what to say. So, or even you know, know how to act with someone that's working, for example, with exactly. cancer. As you said, 80, 80% of those diagnosed. Like Chadwick Boseman, I guess no one knew except a very close person, but we didn't know. And he yeah. worked through it. And next thing you know, it's like, what do you mean he had cancer? Exactly. Well, a lot of people, you know, um, there's recently this big push with a hashtag on LinkedIn called Working with Cancer. And it was started because a CEO of the third largest ad and PR agency in the world was diagnosed with cancer, shared his diagnosis with the board, with the team, with everybody. And he got a ton of emails from people who said, I have cancer, but I haven't told my boss because wow. I'm scared. Wow. Right? So you have people, you might have someone working with you, not you, Al, but you might, someone, you know, who's listening, you might have someone working with you right now who's dealing with cancer. They're terrified they're going to lose their job. They're terrified of the stereotypes that we have around cancer. So we have the stereotypes yeah. that someone with cancer is weak. They're going to lose their hair. They're going to be really thin. They're not going to be able to do job. Cooties. Do job. Right? Cooties. Uh, you know, exactly. Childish, childish <gasps> Thank things. you. Yes, exactly. Some people still, maybe, maybe they know that cancer isn't contagious, but they still feel like, ooh, you know, yeah. as, as the employee with cancer, I don't want to hear someone questioning the food I ate. 
right? That happens a lot. People are like, well, what has your diet been? Oh yeah. You probably shouldn't have eaten that meat. Like that's not, you know, I don't, (laughs) exactly, exactly. Fingers flying, fingers flying. So there's a lot of reasons, but that, you know, but they probably have confided in one other person on that team. And now that person's carrying that burden and the manager's treating the employee with cancer like crap because the employee, the manager doesn't know. So there's so much here. There's so much, you know, a, a richness here, so much opportunity here. And especially now when employees, like we all know, employees don't quit. 80%, I think it's something like 79% of the employees who leave their jobs, they leave because of their manager. So we're talking about, you know, you know, if you're not talking to your employee, if you're not in touch with your team, you are going, you're increasing, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're raising your, your increase, sorry, you're decreasing your retention rate, right? If you're not talking to your employees and, and, and connecting with them, they're probably looking for another job. And I know that people are afraid of not having enough work, but there are more jobs out there than there are people. So this, you know, so if you're not talking to your employees, you're not getting the best work out of them. Like employees love to work for managers who care about them and they put in something called discretionary effort, which is effort beyond what they would normally put onto a job. And that discretionary effort makes you, the manager, look really good and gets your team working productively together. So there's a bunch of missed opportunities when managers don't know what to say or what to do. And, you know, I cannot tell you how many stories I've heard of managers who completely mismanage it. And I hear these stories from employees who are no longer with the organizations who, who I think it's something like 80% of them left within a year and a half of their, of their day that they felt better. Wow. So, so, you know, this turnover rate is something that really needs to be considered and it doesn't take a lot to connect. It just takes consistency, understanding, um, you know, it takes being able to do an assessment, making sure that you've checked in with yourself about your thoughts and feelings and what your stereotypes around what is a person grieving supposed to be like? What do you think they're like and what are they really like? So understanding that, taking really thoughtful action and then reflecting and starting over again. Oh, definitely. So this is what we have you for here, Kim. <laughs> so you go into their companies and, and, and show them how, how, how to handle their business the right way when it comes to that, you know, and making sure that they have a nice, compassionate, well-managed workplace where someone feels comfortable no matter what. So that's why we have you. you know what I mean, yes, sir. And they, Thank and they you. Can also buy this book too, right? Yes, yes well. they can. So you, you have this book that everybody could buy at the website that I've been showing off. 100actiflove.com, <laughs> right? And if you want this book, you got to go to 100 Active Love, the number 100, that is, all right? Actiflove.com slash shop, all right? And, and, and start ed- educating yourselves, folks. And once you dive into the book, you're going to want to hire Kim. Like, I need more of this. <laughs> Al, thank you. And keep in mind, I designed the book so everyone can just grab it, open it up, read a tip, and go do it. There's not a, there's not long paragraphs in there and bullet points. It's like a page, a tip, done. Move forward. A page, a tip, done. Move forward. So there's a lot there. Yeah, and it's really 100, easy to access. 100 good deeds for you guys. For 100 days. Look at that. You yeah. can say, see, for at least almost one third of the year, you could say the wonderful things. So Santa <laughs> may keep, put you on the good list, you know? <laughs> I love right. that idea. All right. You know? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's all they got to do. So, yep. That's what they got to do. So they will get this as, as a soft cover, as an ebook, right? Yes. So 
So do you sign the, the, the soft cover too? If you email me separately, you can leave a message on the website. And if you would like it signed, I'm hey. absolutely happy to sign it. Absolutely. Awesome. And, and what, what if a company wants your services? How, how will they communicate with you? What, you know, they come to your website here, they go to the about, what are we doing? Yep, yep, they can go to the, that's the picture of my husband, and that's my daughter. We only had one uh, girl. We have two boys and one girl. Um, that's absolutely. a picture of us, you know, before we were, when we were dating, our marriage. Yeah, so the, the, you can read the whole story there. Oh, wow, homie was tall, boy. Yeah, six, <laughs> six, six. Yes, he was. Wow, six, six. Wow. Six, six. Yep, he was a tall man. Tall man. Wow. Yep, yep, yep. But the best way to reach out to me is they can reach me at info at 100 acts of love. Um, the other option is they can reach out to me at LinkedIn. Um, I'm also on Instagram at 100 acts of love uh, LinkedIn. There it is at Kim T Hamer. And yes, yeah, so those are the best places to reach me. I'm also on Facebook as well, but those are, and every Thursday I do a LinkedIn live and I'm also starting to do LinkedIn audios, which means you can, I'll, you, the, an event will be sent out. So you'll get notifications if you have your LinkedIn notifications on and you're following me. And you can pop on these audios and ask me questions. And you can also pop on LinkedIn lives and, you know, type in a question. And, you know, so because sometimes it's hard, right? You don't know what to say. You want to like I've had questions. People say, hey, what do I say? And I answer them live right there so that they feel comfortable and they're armed with the tools to go in and support, you know, their their employee, their colleague, their friend. Is there a particular time that you go on on these Thursdays? On that LinkedIn? is a great question. Thank you, Al. I go on <laughs> to 12 p.m. Pacific time. So that's 3 p.m. Eastern time. There we go. You heard that? You got to tune in. That's that's LinkedIn. I, I like LinkedIn, too, when, when they do these joints and you can really communicate. And, you know, three little emojis if you like to, if you guys into that, all right? Yep, yep. <laughs> but, but you it's like, real talk. like and- something. Yeah, and I love the fact again with the audience too. Like as you say, you can really interact. So I know a lot. Of, a lot of us have gone through, you know, pain and grief, and again have had, yeah. had loss or have someone going through that, unfortunately. So again, look, you have Thursdays. You know, I mean, when, the, when you do the audio, you said again. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna start doing the audio probably at 9 a.m. Pacific time. So that's Ooh. 12 p.m. Eastern time. So during okay. lunchtime, y'all, lunchtime yeah, if you're on lunch the East Coast. Chats. Right, mm-hmm. grab your sandwich and go mm-hmm. ask some questions. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? That's all you gotta do. Listen in and learn. For Kim Hamer, it is amazing. Visit the website again. One hundred, the number one hundred. Acts of love. The links are below. All right, so just click away. All right, like George Justin, make them fingers start throbbing because you can't. You're going all over the place. Right, let's have some fun and celebrate amazing uh, people like like Kim that are sharing. You know that their journey that turned something that that was tragic into something positive to teach others you know so you know bringing that energy bringing that love so thank you for your act of love onto the world (laughs) oh al thank you and thank you for what you do this is so sweet i'm so i'm so honored by you know everything that you're doing and the way that you're doing it it's really um it's it's inspiring it's very inspiring about a celebration no you're the inspiring one it's about a celebration of your journey and, again, how you help. And thank you. And I'm, I'm the one that's blessed to be able to share this journey, you know, uh, with you, this story. So, folks, you know what it is, right? The links are below. Follow the Al Marga podcast everywhere. You can also check out my extended family if you're into my comic book goodness over at comiccrusaders.com and my extended family at undercovercapes.com as well. Thank you, everybody. Much love. Hasta la próxima. And that's a wrap for today's episode of the Out Mega Podcast. 
We hope you've enjoyed listening to the insights and stories from our guests. Remember, success is a journey, not a destination. And every step you take, no matter how small, brings you closer to your goals. Don't give up on your dreams and keep pushing forward. Until next time, thank you for tuning in and stay motivated.